I'm going to read three verses, but we are going to spend time in verse 19. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my salvation through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Amen. From verse 12 to the end of chapter 1, as I say it again, would be probably the most important exposition that I could do for the church of Jesus Christ. I even wish that I did this during the pandemic because I am learning so much. And may God ride His eternal truth upon your heart as well. Today's verse is verse 19. I thought I could do verse 19 and 20 this week, but just, just, there's just so much. Look at verse 19 with me. Look at verse 19. Do you notice something unique in verse 19? That's right. In the middle of verse 19, you will find a phrase in all capital letters. So as I am reading this, and we have given you this legacy standard Bible, legacy, which is based on NASB. It is the feature of the NASB that when you see all capital letters and phrases in the New Testament, it's telling us that's a quotation from the Old Testament. So it's a good feature. So you look at it, and you recognize that. Like we have read today in the Psalms, and if you read in Romans chapter 3, in NASB or LSB, you will see all of that in capital letters. So I'm looking at verse 19, past few weeks, and I'm asking myself this question, wait, that's a quotation? I looked up ESV and NASB. They translated in this way. This will turn out for my deliverance. ESV and NASB. This will turn out for my deliverance. So how did I understand that phrase? Basically Paul is saying through your prayer and through the Spirit... I will be freed. It will turn out for my deliverance from my situation. I am in prison. But deliverance from my situation is getting out of prison. But when I was reading this past few weeks, I'm thinking, wait, wait, that's a quotation. But do you know, this is a Bible quiz. Do you know where, where that phrase comes from? 
This will turn out for my salvation. I couldn't locate it. And I looked up NASB, the reference Bible, to see if there's any reference back to the Old Testament, but I couldn't find any. So I looked it up in the commentary. And this is very important. Commentary says, Paul's words here are the same ones used by Job. Job 13, 16, chapter 13, verse 16. So I looked it up, Job chapter 13 and 16 in all different translations, but none of, that, none of the Bibles were translated in this fashion. This will turn out for my salvation. Then I looked it up in Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of Old Testament Hebrew Bible. Why? Back then, people were speaking Greek. So just as we have English translation, people a long time ago made it into Greek translation for them to read the Old Testament. And that Septuagint was the Bible for the apostles and even Jesus Christ. So Job 13, 16, and Paul's language here in chapter 1, verse 19, they match exactly, word for word. This will turn out for my salvation. Not deliverance, but soteria, where we get the word soteriology, salvation. Job said that. Probably then, if you studied the book of Philippians, then you might have heard this. But I never really stopped to think about verse 19 because, like I said, it says it will turn out for my deliverance. Oh, he wants to come out of the prison. But this will turn out for my salvation. And it is quotation from Job. Yes, just because they match, it does not prove the fact that Paul is quoting from Job but most of the commentators who mention this, they say it is from Job. And next thing that I did was to, you know, exercise in my treadmill, you know, machine. I was just walking. And I was thinking about this. This is a huge discovery for me. Paul... We think about Paul and the message of Philippians in this way. Paul is in prison. He's rejoicing. So you better rejoice. Are you in prison? No. Then you should rejoice. I want to believe Paul is quoting from Job. And I almost cried when, when that thought came to my mind. Why? Because Paul is not a machine. Remember in the Terminator 2, the movie, there was a policeman who's a liquid metal. He doesn't die, and he, he just comes out of that, whatever. He's melted, but he's coming out of it. We often think of Paul that way. 
call just keeps on going. But if Paul was thinking about Job while he was sitting in that prison, it tells me he had some struggles in his own heart. He's not a machine. What or who is Job? It's J-O-B. It's in the book of the Old Testament. We don't call him Job. Traditionally, we call him Job, J-O-B. But in Hebrew, it's Job, E-O-B, two words, E-O-B. So I spent this week much time going through Job. I can't tell you everything. But maybe also Paul is saying to the Philippians. You see last week we have seen how some people preach the gospel. Out of envy and strife. Trying to, trying to make him feel bad or worse. Paul. And probably also then Paul is saying to the Philippians. You see I am quoting this. And I am like Job. Job is a righteous person, but he is a suffering person. He does not know why things are happening to him because he does not know Job 1 and 2, the heavenly council. But all of his children are dead. His cattle are plundered. And, and, and a lot of things happen in the book of Job. And probably also then Paul is saying to the Philippians, you see, don't listen to those people who accuse me. I am also innocent. I am suffering for Christ's sake. Job 13, where he quotes this verse, this will turn out for my salvation, It goes something like this. Let me read that section to you. Job 13, verse 15 and following. 15 is a very famous one. Job 13, 15. Probably you have heard about this verse. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. We stop often there. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. But what follows is very important. He says, Job says, Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. This also will be my salvation. What is? My arguing before God. What does that mean? I am bringing a lawsuit before God. I am innocent. I am righteous. Not sinless. As Uh, His friends, three of them, were accusing him. You see, the reason why you are suffering, Job, is because you have sinned. He is saying, no, I have not sinned. Not sinless, but not sinned. And I don't know why this is happening. But he's saying, I am going to argue my ways before God, and this will be my salvation. Why? Because for a godless man may not come before his presence. But I am not godless. Listen carefully to my words and let my declaration fill your ears. Behold now, I have arranged my case for justice. I know that I will be declared 
righteous. So he is saying, I am going to argue my case before God and I will be declared righteous. I'll be pronounced righteous before God and he will vindicate me. That's my salvation. Me arguing before God, my own case, and God pronouncing me righteous so everything that I am going through will stop. That's my salvation. That's what Job is saying in 13, Job 13. Paul is a bit different. Paul does not say in verse 19, I am going to argue my case before God. We don't know how much he was struggling in his heart. Um, but he says, this will turn out for my salvation through, he says, through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I am not going to yell at God and, and try to argue before God, but through prayer and through the Holy Spirit, this will turn out for my salvation. This probably will refer to the whole situation. But anyway, important thing for me was this. Paul is identifying with Job. That is, Paul is longing for freedom to serve the church. Relief from both physical and emotional pain. He is also yearning for God's vindication. People say many things about Paul. Outside, people are saying, you see why? The reason why he's in prison is because he's a sinner, probably. But he is basically asking God to vindicate him, like Job. But he is also desiring God's grace so that he could remain faithful. Even Paul needed an encouragement from the Bible. Yes, from Christ, who is the righteous, sinless Suffering servant of God. But often when we think about Christ, we say to ourselves, Christ is Christ. Jesus is Jesus. It's hard for us to identify with Christ. But Paul, if he was thinking about Job, the implication is clear to me. That he is driving his courage, faith, hope from an example of a saint before him. So that's the, that's the job. But we are, if we have time, we may come back to that today. But let's think about the word. This will turn out for my salvation. Having a Right knowledge of our salvation is important for us to endure this imprisonment. If I ask anyone who is going through any type or time of suffering, if I ask you, what's your salvation? What is your salvation? That person will say to me, to get out of my situation. Right? If I'm, I'm suffering in this situation. So if I ask you, what's your salvation? 
then you will say to get out of that situation. Then I'll be free, I'll be happy. I just want to get out of this situation. And how many times we pray about that? How many times we struggle within it? Suffocating in it. Situation. What's your salvation? If you understand verse 19 in only as, this will turn out for my deliverance. Yes, that, that is included. But Paul is saying more than my temporal deliverance from my situation. It really is because of the word. The word is salvation, not really a deliverance from a situation, but salvation, really. So commentators will say two things. Probably he either had in mind his ultimate salvation from the judgment of God or deliverance from his temporal situation. But I would say it is both, but with his eyes fixed upon that ultimate salvation. Why? Because he says, I know that this will turn out for my salvation. When he says, I know, He's he's not saying, I know I will be freed or released from the prison because he's not a fortune teller. He doesn't know. He does not know. Sometimes God tells him this will happen. We see that from the book of Acts. But he is not predicting what if he is not freed? What if he is executed here in probably Roman jail? Then what he says, I know, will turn out to be a false statement. So he's not really saying, I know I will be freed from my imprisonment. But what he's saying, he is, there's an ambiguity built into that sentence. He's playing both sides. He's not saying, I don't care about my imprisonment, and I only care about my eternal salvation. We don't say that either. When somebody's suffering, we don't say to that person, think about your eternal salvation, even though you're going through such a suffering. He's He is, as we will see next week, he is yearning for the release from the prison. But what he is saying, my deliverance or salvation does not depend on that physical release from the prison. But it comes ultimately from that ultimate salvation that I have in Christ. So he tells us a couple of things. We have to always look beyond that immediate salvation that we are looking for. So for him, it is a release from the prison. He is yearning for that. But he is not saying that will determine my actions or heart, the current situation. But he is actually extending his arm all the way out to his ultimate salvation that he already has in Christ And whether I am released or not, though I am hoping for my release, my ultimate salvation will be my deliverance. That's my salvation. Philippians 3.20 For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to look beyond our immediate temporal salvation to ultimate salvation. That's a struggle, isn't it? When we are going through something, we don't think about that. 
Because the current situation is so big, so large, we cannot see beyond that. But what I'm saying is to look beyond that, that situation. Also, the ultimate salvation comes for believers always in and through and after the suffering, just as God's vindication for Christ came after the death on the cross, chapter 2. So with that, with that, I think we have some time to just briefly talk about what Philippians is teaching us here and Job. Philippians will destroy two false gospels. First one is this, retribution theology. That's what people say, that's the term. Retribution theology. It's a false theology. What that tells people is this, God rewards the good people and God punishes the bad people. God gives them what they deserve. That's basically retribution. We don't even have to call it theology. That framework, I believe many Christians still hold on to that framework. So, I told you one time, in my previous church, I, we, the, the, the many people, when they have illness, they do not tell the church or go to the pastor. If you have a cancer, in that church, people keep it quiet. People are embarrassed about it. People do not want to share the bad news. Why? Retribution. If God gives me a cancer, God is rebuking me. That's simple, tit-for-tat understanding. Rewarding the good, punishing the evil, though, yes, God is righteous and just, and that's true. But rewarding and punishing, they do not come immediately. Oftentimes, it's mixed up. Good people receive bad news, and bad people receive good news. So people are confused. So in such a situation, with such a worldview, we don't want to call it theology. But if that's the idea of the worldview many Christians hold on to, bad things are always cursed from God. Therefore, you don't want to share that. You're embarrassed. I mean, cancer? Maybe you are a great sinner. So people keep it quiet. That's Paul. Look at Paul. Look at, look at Job. You cannot hold on to that, that theology. Also, well, let me say, gospel is what? Gospel is basically saying there are no good people. But wondrous thing about the gospel is God is saving some bad people out of all bad people by His grace. Second false gospel that, that needs to go is this. Prosperity gospel. We don't want to even call it gospel. Prosperity gospel is the evil twin of retribution theology cloaked in church language. 
I'm sure you have interacted with people who, ha- who have that kind of uh, theology. It is God's will for you to be healthy. Someone actually opened up Isaiah 53 to me and says, You see here, with his stripes we are healed. We are healed. And why do we have all these diseases? Because of lack of faith. You have to cast it out. You have to cast the demon out. We have to have a greater faith. And it is God's will for you to never get sick. I'm thinking, are you? That's not, that's not how we look at that, that, that verse. That is why oftentimes charismatic theology has that. Gifts, healing, prophecy. Why? Because they do not have that worldview of this Bible. Nor do they have patience to wait in the tribulation. Because why? Once again, retribution theology will not allow you to have a concept where good and righteous God will allow suffering for His children. But what I am saying to you is to, we need to get out of that mold. That's not a biblical theology. Just look at Job. Just a few bullet points. What is Job? The righteous, the most righteous person is being persecuted in a sense by Satan because God allows him, the Satan, to go out and inflict pain upon him. He does not know. He doesn't, he doesn't see it. He doesn't hear it. So he, the, 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 the disaster comes one after another. But in that scheme, Job wrestles with God. And he tells God every doubt and every fear. So we are baffled. We expect Job to remain quiet, mature enough to endure everything with silence. But that's not what he does. He's bringing lawsuit before God. He's arguing, crying, cursing the day of his birth. And, and his three friends, when you read three friends, what they are saying is right. The theology is right, but largely it correspond, they correspond to the retribution theology. Tit for tat. The reason why you are suffering is because you have sinned. Acknowledge that you are a sinner. Job says, be quiet. Literally, Remain silent so I could speak. His wife, Job's wife, you know what she said? There's one sentence that she says to Job. What does, he, what does she say? Curse God and die. So his wife is not helping him. Three friends are not helping him, so he's alone. In the end, the last few chapters, Job remains faithful. He's rebuked by God. He repents. He's vindicated. His friends, God condemns them and asks Job to pray for them. And only if he prays for you guys, then I will relent. And he prays for them. And God restores um, Job. But ultimately, something else was at stake. God wanted to prove that Satan was a liar from the beginning. And Job was a chosen instrument to defeat Satan for the lies, the accusations that he brought. 
So, what this tells me, Job, Paul, is that you and I have to grow out of that theology. God, why am I do, why why is this happening to me if you love me? That do that, but we need to grow out of it. We cannot know the purpose of God allowing evil in our lives. We cannot figure it out. Job only finds that out at the end when he has face-to-face conversation with God. Even with that, God's greatness overpowers him and he really doesn't get the answer. You know what, Job? I had a, I had a game or I had this conversation with Satan in chapter 1 and chapter 2. That's why you suffer. God never does that. God's greatness just basically just shuts him up. And it is very difficult for us to figure out exactly why this is happening. But what I am saying is, let us defeat retribution worldview. If it is God's will, like for Job and for, 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 for Paul, to go through this, to be an example, to bring honor to his name and glory, then we should persevere to the end. I am thinking whether I should stop here and and I'm not even done with verse 19. I have few more pages and I will stop. But I will just make one point and I want you to think about that. Unlike Job, Paul is better than Job. Why? Because Christ came. He doesn't have to say to God, my argument is my salvation. He knows this is participating in Christ's suffering. But he asks for two things. Paul is up there, isn't he? Probably we are here compared to Paul. Paul is here. But even at his level, he is thinking about Job in the Old Testament, bringing the quotation from that beloved story of Job, which allows us, it gives us a breathing room for us believers. It is not automatic. Rejoice. Because it says rejoice. It doesn't work like that. You pour out your heart before God, like Job. And Paul probably was praying in such a fashion. But he asks for your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He's not saying, my knowledge and faith are sufficient. I'm Paul. You know, I know everything. I'm Paul. I could endure everything. That's not what he's saying. At his level, he's asking, actually, 
asking Philippian church to pray for him so that he could endure faithfully. And also he's asking for the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, the presence of Christ in the Spirit of Christ. His power and his peace will will help him. Paul will be faithful. Paul will be vindicated, whether he's released from the prison or not. His hope is not in the release. His hope is in that salvation. So we should then think about prayer and the presence of the Holy Spirit for us to remain successful, faithful, fruitful, joyful in this life. Let none of you think about your life. I could endure this on my own strength. If I study enough, if I listen to sermons enough, conference messages enough, I'm all good. I've read him, I've listened to him, I've listened to that, I'm all, I'm done. I'm good. Right? Paul needed the prayer. Literally saying, my salvation depends on on your prayer, not it's adding on to me, it's not works, but it will help me remain faithful to the end through the provision of the Spirit. May it be true for all of us that we may look unto that ultimate salvation that we have in Christ, yet pray for, yes, immediate release too, but that's not our ultimate hope, is it? And with your prayers, I will be successful. With my prayer, you will be successful, that is faithful, fruitful, joyful. But that's not it. Through the provision of the Holy Spirit, seek Him. Let us pray then for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit for each other. It's real, isn't it? It's not religious saying, I'll pray for you. But your prayer and provision of the Spirit of Christ will turn out for my salvation. That's the truth. Let's pray. Mm -hmm.